Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Welcome everyone to The Rodcast, and I'm excited to bring you our latest auction review. In these auction specials, I'm joined by the Anton Deck of the property auction world, Piotr Ruzanek and Jay Howard, and also longtime property investor Ranjan Bhattacharya. We'll be discussing eight different lots coming up in the auctions this December, and we'll be pointing out the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of all of them in terms of investments. We go into real detail on how we approach these opportunities, and you can follow along by clicking on each of the links in the show notes. Grab a pen and take some notes, and good luck if you're buying or selling at the auctions this December. So let's get started with lot number three in the All Sorts Commercial Auction. Now here is a, if you're into commercial property, this I think is as juicy as it gets. I mean, there are two things that you want to look at when you're looking at commercial property. You want to make, particularly now, of course, you want to make sure that you've got a good covenant in there and the tenant is paying their rent. And this is a tyre and exhaust type of place led to quick fit. Uh, it's let for a 15-year lease, no break clauses, full repairing, insuring lease. So they are in there paying rent. And the great thing is that during lockdowns, of course, uh, tyre and exhaust centres are deemed an essential service. So these sort of places are open. Now, the other thing, there are several of these quick fits um, sites actually in this Allsop catalogue. But this is my pick, and I'll tell you why because it's slap bang in the middle of a residential area. A lot of the others on sale in the catalogue um, are let to quick fit, 15 year, no break clause leases. The leases are all the same, but they're in the middle of industrial estates or business parks. This is slap bang um, in an area which is you know, close to Stansted Airport, uh, lots of residential in the immediate surrounding area. So you've got that backstop. So first of all, you've got a great tenant that's in business, that's paying rent, producing, reasonable yield, it's, it's, it's steady income, um, ideally suit a pension type investor who just wants a, a good stable return on their money. And it's got the backstop of when uh, and if quick fit want to pack up, it is a no brainer for residential redevelopment because it's slap bang in a residential area. I'm just uh, surprised that the guide price is at 4.7% uh, yield. That is, seems super low for an auction property. Oh. Ranjan, you mentioned, because uh, I, I, I noticed earlier that there, like you say, there's a few of these going. Who is selling these and why are they selling? Do you know who, who's actually selling? Is it is not under any sort of repossession? I'm guessing, as you said, it's all been paying. So um, I haven't actually looked uh, into who the seller is, to be honest with you. Um, but... There are a lot of people who, it seems that these leases are relatively new. So it seems that someone owns these things and they've negotiated a whole bunch of yeah. uh, brand new leases and uh, looking to sell them on. Because mm -hmm. when you negotiate the new lease, of course, you add immediate value to the, uh, to the proposition. On, on Piot's point just about super low yields... I think you're right, but I also think at the moment there is a huge kind of scramble for any yield whatsoever. Um, and when even if you've got sort of a four, 
50% yield, yes, it might seem low, but when you look at it against the security of the income that's coming in, actually, there's a lot of demand for yield at the moment, which is secure. So if you're, um, I mean, looking at other types of uh, these sorts of risk profile in investments, actually, it's still it's still good. If you've got a 4% yielding asset with potential uplift down the road it's um it's it's still a solid investment when you look at what other comparables you might have across different asset classes so yes i mean it's a pick for me because um many of these sort of uh safe yielding investments don't have the alternative redevelopment potential whereas this one does yes you have to wait 15 years to realize it but it's still a nice little pot at the end of the rainbow well, do you have to wait 15 years? Because I noticed there's an um, option to extend. It said something about that. What, what's, what's, what's the... Yeah, sort the, of the tenant that? has got the right to extend um, for another 10 years twice. Okay, okay. So that's quite good, obviously. It's going to keep doing that, and you know you've got that, that fallback position, I suppose, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just wondering, like, I always like to see what the, what the uh, values of uh, properties in the, in the local area. Um, and I can see three bed semi-detached, 229, 230 for another semi. Well, I think, I think if you were doing a new build, so you'd be probably looking realistically around 300 mm-hmm. mark and you'd probably be getting at least three of them in that space, I would have thought. Yes, I would say so. Or even block of flats, possibly. Exactly. It's more, uh, most likely to be a block of flats. But I yeah. think it'll go for a bit more than that. I wouldn't, surpri- I wouldn't be surprised if this actually went for a yield of uh, very high threes. And I, I, so the covenant is quick fit. And I would just want to check this. But obviously with some of these big sort of companies you just want to make sure is it a subsidiary that is just a one-off spv and it's called quick fit great britain limited whereas actually the big company is well, yeah. i think this is who, the, guaranteeing the income and yeah. who, that's that? a very good but just scroll down a little bit on that page um, yeah, it does the due diligence on the company yeah yeah I guarantee from quick fit gb limited so you just want to double check that that is who we think it is i'm sure it is yeah. Basically, whoever's on the hook for the for the rent, whether they are the, I mean, they may have it in an SPV. That's fine as yeah, long yeah. as they're guaranteeing it through the main entity. Yeah. And then you're looking at the turnover and profits of that entity. They just need to be massive in relation to the rent on that particular unit. Mm-hmm. And then you know it's got some meat, basically. Yeah. Uh, question to you, Ranjan: How would you look to get your cash out of this one once purchased? Um, this is not um, that sort of investment. I think the, uh, the, the thing with particularly commercial property auctions is there's several different types of buyers. There are some people that are looking for wealth creation, uh, meaning add value quickly and pull your money out. Um, there are many people that are looking at wealth preservation, particularly now as there's talk about negative interest rates. The government have pumped in so much money into the economy. So if you've got 500 grand and you want to protect it, you're not, you, you don't have, you can't get that sort of return anywhere else that's guaranteed for five years, for 15 years. So uh, there, are two, there are different types of auction buyers for different types of properties. So this is not a add value, putting your money out and go again type of deal. This is a, someone with a lot of cash or a pension 
looking to preserve that. Uh, it's more mature strategy rather than a yes entrepreneurial yeah. type purchase. Yes. Okay. Brilliant. Good Thanks, Andrew. Um, so the second lot, uh, any, any more questions on that lot? And by the way, Ranjan's saying high freeze. I don't think it will reach 500. Uh, and, and I'm happy to place a bet if anyone is, is in the game. Oh, Piotr's got his wallet out. Here's another 20. Uh, well, I mean, the other thing we're kind of forgetting is we're, we're talking about this happening in, I don't know, 15 years. The other option is to strike an agreement with the tenant as well. Um, so you'd want to have a real cl close look over that lease. And also there may be someone who's linked with that tenant. You could even have the tenant looking to buy that to redevelop it themselves. There's, I think there's, there's different options. It doesn't need to be that you've got to wait and sit there. It could be that you can pay the tenant to leave or even do it on an option or an equity basis of any uplift in value for them. There's, there's lots of different routes down, down that. It's highly unlikely. Um, I'll tell you what. I mean, we have a, uh, we've got a um, tie and exhaust centre in a near, near Gatwick Airport, actually. And during this COVID time, we've, we've actually negotiated a rent increase, uh, a rent review and a, a negotiated a rent increase. The reason why is that actually these tyre and exhaust centres in residential areas are like gold dust. Really? Um, once they're there, I mean, it's virtually impossible to get planning to build one of these in a residential area. Mm -hmm. um, so when they've got a site like this, they love it. So they will be there and they'll pay the market rent, which is a good income stream. What is the... Um Planning use class of that is it sweet generous? Um, that would be sweet generous for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. It, but it's it's quite hard to get. So yeah. that's why when they um, want to kind of, if they did want to pack up, particularly the smaller independents, there's no shortage of people wanting tenants coming to uh, who are interested in occupying those premises. And the rent on this one isn't that high. Twenty two thousand isn't. Uh, massive amount well again it's looking at the lease to see if there's um when, when the rent reviews are and, and how those those yeah. can be negotiated isn't this it? is cpi linked i think yeah it's a it's, it's a nice. fairly new lease that's just been signed in uh, yes. march at the start of covid really and um it's uh yeah cpi linked and that actually um, presents a lot of, that's advantageous for a lot of investors because rent reviews can be a little bit of a pain if you're a passive commercial investor because you've got to know a little bit about the process. You've got to appoint a commercial surveyor and you have to go through a bit of a process. Whereas with CPI linked, you just know where you are. Good. Okay. Well, any guesses on what it's going to go for? Ranjan said high freeze. I'm saying no more than 500. I, th I, think, I think you'll get about 450. Because someone in a SIP, someone with a SIP will, will look at that and just go... 450 yes. will be below the reserve. It's, it's a range, guys, so the reserve has to be within that range. Yeah, 475 to 475, yeah. 475 so... Yeah, I think that's about right for it. Yeah, I think it's not going to sell for much more than that. 500 is the limit, I would say. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Ranjan. I'm in the same camp. I think uh, I think this may land on like even 470 on the dot. I think it's it's good, and I think I think Rod's absolutely correct. Someone in that kind of um, with that kind of background, SAS or SIP, will look at that thinking, "Wait, I get 15 years, no breaks, CPI yes. linked. 
with the potential to get another 20 years, I can sit on this until, you know, I'm 105 or whatever and, and, and not really have to worry about it. So I, th- I think, I think, I think the value is limited in that respect. I don't think it's as exotic as some of the other things that we've looked at, but I think in that range is, is, is good value for a SIP purchaser. <clears throat> yeah. And like Ranjan said, it's different. It's horses for courses. Like people look at this and might think, well, if my pension's in a, I don't know, a stocks and shares equity, why would I want to put my pension in this? Well, it's all about the risk profile. And actually when you are, 30 years old compared to when you're 60, your risk profile is going to be very different in terms of what you're looking for in, to, in that investment in terms of risk and energy that you, you've got to put into it. So I do think it's a lot of people don't understand that when they're starting in investment and, and trying to pull money out and get huge returns on investment. Actually, the, the risk and effort factor is, is huge, um, especially kind of the, the, the older you get and the more reliant you are on preserving that wealth, but also on income and the, and the reliability of that income. Absolutely. And this is, I mean, as you pointed out, these leases with QuickFit all new. So it's a classic strategy for the people who uh, are looking to do something entrepreneurial. Basically, get it cash flowing, get a decent covenant in, get a long lease signed, and then you've added the value, then sell it on uh, and, and let it be picked up by someone uh, who has a SIP or a SAS. And uh, just uh, digged out some information on the company's house on the seller, basically, of those properties. And uh, this is the London Metric Retail Limited. And they've got quite a, a big portion of, uh, of this is a business review and principal activities. And it says over here that uh, they acquired, uh, they made following arm's length investments since 31st of March 2020. A portfolio of further five quick fits, third of June. So it looks like they purchased quick fits and now they're selling some of them. And maybe they purchased them for uh, sort of fairly good prices. But it's quite a substantial company with uh, big stores, uh, service stations with Coop and non Coop. And uh, Waitrose but- convenience stores, 62 million, 52 million. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does look like they had a loss of 5.2 million last year. So, uh, but again, this is not who the comp- the, who the tenant is. This is just the seller. No. So, not really, the seller, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's some in- interesting information on the company's house, and it's always worthwhile in investigating who the seller is and what their position is because uh, that might reveal uh, more properties they own and they might want to sell as well. Absolutely. Okay, let's move to the next property. Uh, so this is a site. Uh, uh, this is a site in Tidworth, but and it's a lot number one, and also there's lot number two, which is quite similar in uh, in uh, Hampshire. And basically, the reason why I picked those lots, these are my lots, is uh, to discuss some things uh, with you guys and hear your opinions on certain things. Um, so this is a uh, lot number one, and also residential garages at Beach Hill Road, Hampshire, Tidworth. Uh, the guide price for this property is £35,000 and uh, the similar site in uh, Stockbridge, Hampshire, it's uh, guided at £14,500 plus. And those sites are occupied by uh, garages 
five lockup garages for the lot two and uh, 17 garages for lot number one. And what's interesting about this is that this is uh, the garages are vacant. Uh, they're being sold by housing associations, both of them. <clears throat> and there's quite a lot of lots that are being sold by housing associations uh, these days in auctions. So um, question to you is, do you think there's value in lots like this? Uh, do you think that, and why do you think housing associations are selling stock like that in auctions? I think for the same reason that housing associations sell any stock, because they're more trouble for them and they don't have the time and resources to, to fix them up and do what's, what's, what's needed to get them back to be fit for purpose, like a lot of um, housing. I, I think this... I actually think those are quite interesting lots because one, I'd, wa I'd want to know a few things first, like the income that garages are getting, if any at the moment, what the standard rent would be if you did nothing to them. Also, I'd want to know what the structure is because you may be looking at some land remediation relief with asbestos on a lot of those garages. And then it's looking at pound per square foot values of um different use classes obviously you want to get residential on those um, you can see just from those maps that the plots are big around there for the houses they're big plots so it's unlikely you're going to get a block of 15 flats on that it's more likely you might get one house um, just looking at the plot sizes again there so it's looking at what what your um, what your values are going to be on that and also looking at if it, if it is garages and storage what happens if you just keep it as garages and storage and, and uh, just get them fit for purpose and maybe do a similar model to what the sellers of the last lot are doing and, and, and get some income and then sell it on. Um, but I think there's always opportunity in these. It just depends on the specifics, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like the case study from our... I mean, I think the, 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 this is an interesting proposition. The, the, the housing associations probably don't feel it's in their remit to look after car storage spaces um, for their sort of tenants. So for the reasons Rod says, they're sort of flogging it. They may have asbestos in, and it's not in their remit also to rent out those individual garage units. I mean, this is not an area I know too much about, but they're, they're not exactly valuable buildings. They're all prefab garage units. Um, and we need to check, of course, that they're generally dry. Otherwise, no one's going to rent them as storage unless they are sort of um, st structurally dry and all the rest of it. But the other thing is, looking at the density of housing on that little map there, I'm just wondering what the demand would be in an area where there are lots of houses where they have their own carriages and people may not be short of storage. I get the demand in more highly densely populated areas for storage units, but I'm not sure in, in, in these sort of areas. But typically, typically garages do go for in, uh, sort of 60, 70 pound a month uh, in suburban areas. Um, so that would be the income, but you'd have to upgrade the security. I think a big issue for people renting garages is how secure is the site. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to put in some CCTV, some flood lighting and all of this sort of stuff in there as well. I think I quite like this. The in terms of redevelopment, I think I prefer the second one to the first one. Just um, in terms of kind of its its size and um, because it's 
it's a bit wider and that might be a bit easier to get a house on there um, in that plot rather than the first one, which is quite narrow, I'm not sure. And probably would have less, if you build a house like at the, at the back here, it would have, or even here, it would have yeah. less issues. Um, have you done a, um, have you got a street view? I mean, what sort of house is right next door, that number three? They look like ex-council, semi-detached type things. Oh, are they? Okay. The reason I asked you to display that is I just wanted to see the house type to kind of gauge whether it's likely that the uh, person with the house next door is likely to really want that to extend their plot size. It doesn't look like um, they would. And I wonder if it's, a, yeah, this house, it's the two semis. Yeah. Yeah, quite I mean, unlikely. Yeah, I mean, looking at the gardens, a lot of the gardens are coming off to the side as well. You could potentially, at a real push, get two semis in there maybe, um, with the garden coming off to the, to the back and the rear. But I think it's more likely you're looking at one. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. And um, we found it quite, uh, I would say, surprising that also would put uh, those lots, a lot number one and two. Well, it's in the residential, isn't it? I wonder if there's any... I'd, I'd be looking on the planning portal to see if any planning has actually gone in for those sites in the, in the past. Again, if it's housing association, the chances are it's not because they're not bothered about it. But I just wonder whether, um, again, it's you wouldn't be able to buy it off an option with the housing association. Well, most of them will, will have to be seen to be selling it at auction. So again, it's unlikely that anything's gone in there. So it could be, it's, it's a bit like an untapped opportunity, really, I think. So it's, it's yeah. it can be some good... Uh, good it's, uh, a, it's, it's a low cost of entry as well, right? I mean, we're not talking about a couple of hundred thousand here. There's, uh, you could probably argue for the, for the lot one where there's, well, I don't know, 15-ish, or definitely double figure looking garages there. You know, what's, what's the capital value if you were to just sell those off to the to the neighboring people or you know sell some rent some you know, if you could sell half and rent half then you could probably sell your way to sell sell your way out of your purchase price and then the rest is just residual income um you know unless you were really looking at the development value of it which especially for the first one feels yeah quite limited if you were to let those garages for 60 pounds a month uh, 17 guys that would be almost Eleven and a half k a year. I, I I think, as you've rightly said, this is not something that the housing association has really uh, tried to do anything with. So this is really sort of virgin ground. And I I also think that um, a lot of the time um, they the auctioneers do manage to get uh, public bodies to agree to relatively low reserves. And I think. Um, they've positioned these one and two in the catalogue um, because they they want to generate a lot of interest, a lot of hoo-ha, and they want to set the tone for the auction because they know that these are going to go uh, well in excess of guide because someone is going to see the redevelopment potential uh, of those, those plots. So I, I think they've got the Housing Association to agree a relatively low reserve, position them at one and two in the catalogue, to set the mood and tone for the whole auction by having that hypey sale right in the beginning. Mm. Yeah. Because for redevelopment, it looks from the pictures, it looks as though you will get semis, you will get some houses on there. It's not going to be a big deal. 
there's already development on that site and you could do something that's in keeping with the area, not a block of flats, just repeat semis. And uh, it, it's too cheap as a land plot uh, if you're going to produce a few semis. Makes sense. Well, let's see how they're going to perform, how they're going to set the tone for the rest of the also Brazil auction. Let's move to the next one. Yeah, I like this one. Um, we, we've, uh, we've already been down to, uh, to take a look at this. Uh, it's a nice performing high street. This is lot number 96 at uh, the McEwen co-auction. Um, it is 86 High Street Dorking in Surrey. Um, it's a mid-terrace two-story building. Um, and it is producing uh, £16,000 per annum off a guide price of £95,000. And there's a rent-free period for six months. It's a new lease, yeah. and the rent-free period is uh, from 1st of October until six months will be April, 1st of April. Yeah. And it's a 15-year lease to an individual, Tariq Mohammed. And uh, uh, the tenant has paid £4,000 plus VAT deposit. I mean, on the face of it, the yield's fantastic, isn't it? But you just want to know a little bit more about Tarek and uh, has <laughs> the, is he a homeowner? Has he uh, is he is, is he guaranteeing that income with something substantial uh, behind him uh, in, ter in terms of um, in terms of wealth? Because you want to make sure, like anything, that you have uh, a good chance of getting that agreed income. Uh, so that 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 would be the first thing. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it seems good. Uh, it's, it's just having a, it's, it's going through that lease with a fine two coat, isn't it? Just to see mm. if there's any surprises, see if there's any breaks. Yeah. Putting down four grand at the front is good. Um, yeah. Are you renting the whole premises at 16 grand? Yes, the whole thing. First <coughs> is, the, is this subject to VAT? Because one thing inconsistent, it doesn't actually say whether the rent, whether this is a VAT registered property. It does say, that the tenant has paid £4,000 plus VAT deposit. Yeah. What I tend to find with commercial property is that um, a lot of commercial property is VAT registered. When the rents are thirty-five grand plus a year, it doesn't make a two hoots a difference because the businesses that will be renting those are VAT registered and they claim it back. When you get to the sub-20K rents, if the property is VAT registered, and the tenant is not that registered, then th that adds 20% to their rent bill, uh, which yeah. often makes it unattractive as a rental proposition for some people. So I, yeah. I, I wanted to explore whether it's a VAT registered property because it says he's paid £4,000 plus VAT deposit, which normally is VAT registered. Um, and, and the way Mark Hugh described the commercial lots is not the same way. It's also commercial or Qtus approaches it. Uh, on those also commercial acutus catalogs, like students can learn how to really describe an auction lot or a commercial property. And McHugh is just like that, like gave basic facts mm -hmm. about the property and they're fairly inconsistent. So I'm just trying to look in their uh, special conditions, what it says about the VAT, uh, but um, I can't see anything really. I mean, is that, that's because BQ & Co is, by and large, a residential auctioneer, so they don't really... Yeah. Uh, yeah. They just don't have it in their procedures properly. What, what, would be, um, what would be your angle on this? Would it literally just be to buy, rent out, and collect the income? 
or is uh, that yeah so we actually looked at uh, what's happening in Dorking and what are so Dorking is a fairly affluent area that is number one and um, uh, we looked at what's available on that high street and uh, there is a lot of really good shops on that high street and not many available properties so whatever comes up usually rents out fairly well um, in terms of rent uh, this is this isn't an outrageous rent. This is a fairly uh, uh, in line with uh, everything else that's uh, basically renting in Dorking. And this property could suit like a hairdresser. It could have different uses uh, than the gallery. And because the lease has just been signed, obviously there's a six months rent-free period, but it's been signed in that COVID time. So I don't think anyone taking on that lease would have, you know, not planned for what's, what's happening right now. So that kind of gives me a bit more confidence. And if we buy this, anything less than, say, 150, I think it's a good purchase. And then we're going to see basically what's going to happen. So let's say Tarek Mohammed um, doesn't perform and realises it's not for him and walks yeah. away from it and you can't pursue him for that rent or income, what then would you be wanting to do? Would you be repurposing it, like you said, to a hairdresser? How are you going to attract tenants to this based on what's going on in Dorking and any other commercial? Because it, it seems, the rent seems quite, I don't know, I don't know what the size of the, the unit is and things like that, but are you going to, is there not some empty properties around there that, could be cheaper and, and for no. Uh, we checked. We checked the um, uh, also the the right move residential and also right move commercial and um, uh, other commercial portals for available rental properties. And mm. none of them are sort of anywhere close to this. And sure. even pounds per square foot, um, it works out fairly well. One thing I want to show you guys is the business rates uh, valuation. Okay, so there is basically an internal storage of 43 square meters on the first floor. Mm -hmm. And then there is, the whole property has got 90 square meters, so about 1,000 square feet. Yeah. Um, so if we were buying this at 150, that's 150 pounds per square foot, really, uh, which work out, works out fairly well. And uh, the rateable, so not the rate of the, yeah, the, the value of the property is, rateable value is 19754 which is below the rental that's currently agreed, uh, which kind of gives us fairly high confidence that uh, we would be able to relet this unit or create something uh, creative in there, because there are two floors. Can we access uh, the first floor from the real J? I think there was um, access to the rear, but I don't know if there was access created to access the first floor from the rear. Yeah. So possibly if there's a, a way of uh, us getting access to the first floor uh, and then creating maybe a residential unit there, that well, would there be... Two, there was another thing that concerned me. I mean, obviously the VAT issue, yeah. low rental rule, VAT properties are difficult to let. But the other issue is it's not freehold. It's a long leasehold. Um, so we've got to find out who the freeholder is and whether they'll be amenable to giving permission 
because there's another open goal there. It looks as though it could have a, a sustain an extra floor, but you, you don't have the freehold with this. Yeah. Uh, and it's what the freeholder will ask for their ransom uh, to comply with that request to make the upper floor residential. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, that, that is a good point. And I guess sometimes uh, we have to find who the freeholder is. Um, I haven't checked. But sometimes we're not saying to... they'll disagree. It's just finding it out, out and sizing it up. Yeah. Beforehand. And also, you want to know kind of the pound per square foot of residential in that area. Because I, I think, I think you, if you can go up one floor, I think you can probably go up two floors there just based on what's on the left hand side of that property. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. And with 40 square meters or just over 40 square meters on that floor, um, you'd get that again on the, on, the, on the second floor. So potentially you could be looking, depending on where you put staircases and things like that, you might just be able to squeeze in uh, an extra unit or it might be um, just a, a uh, extension of, of that. You could be um, converting that to residential in the long run if the lease doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do a little bit of digging of who is the freeholder of that property, but um, those are some good points. The, sorry to bang on about the VAT, just to let people know, if you do buy a VAT registration, registered property, and this is registered for VAT, that means you have to pay 20% VAT on the hammer price. Yeah. Um, you can claim it back against your next VAT return, but you would have to pay that, which is a cash flow hit, unless you went out and got a VAT exemption certificate that allows you to buy it as a going concern. Yeah. And Which is a TOGC, um, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or you can ask the seller to delist it for VAT um, beforehand. But as it's an auction, it's unlikely that... Yeah. Uh, and there's some rules. About, I've never done that before, but there's some rules, yeah. aren't they, about there's 21 lots, years and all of this? lots of complex rules about when it was... Um, when it was opted in for that, and if it was done, don't quote me on this because it, it won't be correct, but it's something like if it's done in the last 20 years, you can't yeah. opt it out of that. Something like that. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to get into the intricacies of that. But yeah. It can, you can make it work well for you and, and create opportunities, but it, you do not need to know what, you, what you're doing and definitely recommend speaking to a VAT specialist on, on that sort of stuff. Um, brilliant. Okay, well, let's uh, let's move to the fourth lot, and the fourth lot is Roth's property. Rob, do you want to introduce this? Yeah, absolutely. So this is Auction House London. It's lot. Is it lot sixty three? Sixty three. Uh, yes. And it is the address is sixty eight to seventy six Central Drive in Blackpool. It is a mixed-use building with some commercial on the ground floor and then uh, I think another three floors of residential on the top. It was previously, I think, a 25-room HMO on the, uh, on the upper floors and um, ground floor looks like it's kind of, it hasn't been occupied. None of that commercial has been occupied for a while. It's, it's an, it caught my eye because it's a big space. And I think there's a few traps here to just be aware of. You're looking at Blackpool. It's an area where there is um, a lot of investment going in there now, 
but that investment hasn't yet resulted in um, increased uh, prices and rents yet. Although, yeah, many many people think that's think that's coming. What this is is it's got um, planning to convert to I think it's in flat story. Yes. That's ten two beds and three one beds. So getting rid of the uh, commercial, um, converting that into residential. Now, there's a few things to point out here. The capital values of these uh, of this area for residential is around 120 to 150 pounds per square foot. Now that is very, very low. Okay, so if you're looking at this and thinking, right, I'm going to purchase this. Uh, convert it and sell it at a profit unless you are building extremely cheap you are not going to do come out of that very well unless you're getting paid to purchase it yeah especially if you're paying money to purchase purchase the price the good things about the build are it's already existing residential upstairs it's got um it's got no new build uh, in this in the planning application so it's just converting the existing building it's pulling down a small uh, part of it the costs where it's going to eat up will be in things like soundproofing and uh, utilities so that's something to keep in mind now where it starts to get a little bit more interesting is where you start looking at rents Okay, if you're looking at private rentals in that area, things that are on the market are about 350 for one bed and 400 for two beds. Now, what's interesting is the LHA rates are actually higher than that. So in April, the LHA rates were increased and in that area, they're increased quite substantially. So if you're uh, renting to LHA, I think you're looking at £364 a week for a one bed and 494 for a two bed so it's a bit more for lha rates now this kind of opens up a few opportunities where you could be looking at getting it on a uh, renting it back to an organization doesn't necessarily need to be just individual lha tenants it could be a fixed term for a housing provider a social housing provider anything like that the problem you've got or that I have when you have low value rents and low value properties and you're looking at this as a rental kind of income play for the future is it sounds good on paper, but over time, the operational costs as a percentage of the income really do start to whack up. So um, your maintenance, your voids, your arrears, your management fees start to kick in. So in low value areas, you might be better off going for one of these seven-year fixed terms to a, uh, a, a government-appointed housing provider, even though the rent might be slightly lower. Uh, if you're looking at total returns over time, you might be a bit better on that one. Um, as I said before, building to sell is unlikely to work unless you're selling it as an investment. So again, like lot number one we discussed, is you're, what you're doing is you're getting it income-producing and then you're selling that on to uh, a small fund, a family office, a individual who just wants some income, because you're looking at if, if say you're, you've got, I don't know, roughly a 1000 square meters of property here to convert, best will in the world, it's going to cost you, I don't know, four or 500 grand to convert all that. 
it, now what you where it's going to benefit someone and where people will make money from this is people that know the area and understand what grants are available now this is quite an interesting topic on its own but in a lot of these low value areas you can get quite substantial grants to convert disused properties okay into residential as long as you will pre-sign a lease either back to the council or back to one of their organizations so this is where i see there being a good opportunity is if you can organize those grants for the build it's not going to give you the money for the entire build but it certainly will make it more worthwhile in terms of the high cost, uh, high high ticket cost mm-hmm. number of some of those parts of the build. So that's what I think it will work well for. Um, the problems, more problems you'll have with it is finance. Okay, so finding a lender that is willing to lend once it's built to a value. Uh, that um, is going to be either the same or more than the money that's gone into it. Notice how I said the money that's gone into it. If you've got a grant, it's still money that's gone into it. It might not be your money. So again, that's something to look at as well. Um, so I think I think that's the play here. It's looking at converting this. It's either going to be a builder or someone in the area who has links with housing providers and more importantly has links to the grants available to that organizing that lease with that organizing the grants to do it and getting about and then it's a nice income play because the yield on on, on it is, is is going to be strong you're looking at kind of double figures there um but as i said before if you want it as individual tenancies the uh the net return won't be nearly as uh, juicy as it is on paper because of all those operational expenses so i would be looking at getting a uh, a longer lease built in there to one of the providers so I can kind of sit and forget uh, for a while um, and, then, and then come back to it down the line with a bit of hope that um, that investment that is pouring in from the uh, from various sources into Blackpool has has increased capital values by that time. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> that is what I would be looking at, but certainly a lot of traps in there. Uh, you're getting a nice chunk of property, but for 2.30, I'd be expecting the whole street in that area. <laughs> I think the, um, one of the big issues with low value areas like Blackpool, as Rod has pointed out, is the build cost. It's going to be very difficult to get a handle on that and keep that down. And when you do anything with an old building, they're unknowns. And the great thing, and I've done loads of these sort of old buildings in high value areas, and you can't see everything. You go in and then you find some, you know, rotten joists in the roof and and this and that, that asbestos somewhere or um, some floor joists that are completely damaged and you've got woodworm and there's some things that you can't look at but in high value areas there's enough in the deal there's enough in the cake for you to make those repairs uh, my viewpoint is that if i was to build 13 or 14 flats in a low value area i'd want to do it from the ground up because once you've got your foundations in the up to dpc all your costs are predictable and certain um, there's just too much in here that can go wrong in the in in, in the build cost uh, to put you into negative territory. Don't disagree with any of that. Yeah, things yeah. I'll things I'll be wanting to look at are things like the windows, the roof. I mean, because you're not doing much anything really structural here, you're putting in a couple of velux to the existing roof. Um, no, no new windows. Uh, you're not putting any new space in. So like Ranjan's rightly said, um, when you are converting something, 
you're ripping things off and there's always going to be some surprises and obviously surprises in, in this instance mean cost and uh, I think this is why if you're going to if you're looking at this to convert and you're not able to attract grant money for it it's it's going to be a a, a bit of a uh, a dud I think uh, so you would need to be doing that and even if you're a builder and you've got really cheap um, really cheap build costs even looking at let's say it's thousand square meters and it's 200 grand to purchase I mean that's that's still a substantial amount of uh, capital value per square meter plus the build cost and we've already said the the capital values of flats in the area are about 150 per square meter so it's you you're really really sorry 150 per square foot you really are going to struggle to actually make any money on that and people might go yeah i'm looking at the income well that's all well and good but if you're financing it you'll find that actually you're having to pour in more equity when it comes to refinance um so it's there's a few there's certainly a lot of traps in there but i think what it will work for is someone who has good links with the council and how and specialist housing providers and are also have access to grants in the area for regeneration and that's really the only way i can see increasing the capital value or getting return on that capital investment um as well as getting decent income from that and a decent yield. I've got a question from Saif. Um, he's uh, asking uh, specifically you to you Rod. Um, how do you look at securing uh, the lease with the housing institution or the council prior to bidding at the auction? As uh, yeah. he says, that is the biggest risk, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Time it takes. Sometimes you can make it auction an unfavorable place, right? Absolutely. I think I think that's. He's hit the nail on the head and it's about a lot of these things are about getting your ducks in a row before you come to exchange and completion. And that's where uh, auctions are not great if you're a buyer because you have very little time to get your ducks in a row. But it's yeah. taking a punt, isn't it? And I think... Um, there's especially the price of this property is, uh, is reflective of those risks that you're taking on. Well, I, I don't know if it is. I, I, think, it's quite, I think it's quite highly priced. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I would be a bit concerned about that. Um, I'd, I'd definitely be on the phone to the council straight away, onto the phone to the housing team, looking at different uh, providers in that area and, and researching what grants are available. And also looking at demand from some of those specialist housing providers. Because another problem you've got with places like Blackpool is the supply and demand issue. There is a lot of supply and demand is only coming from a few different sources. And so you need to look at if the demand is actually there. And I think that's something yes. that's quite important because you get plenty of buyers from outside the area thinking, oh, God, this is cheap. Yeah, this will go. But actually, when you come to look at the demand for that, often it's very different in different areas. Yes. So you do need to be quite careful on that. And I think a clue of what you're saying is auction house have franchises up and down the country but this is a blackpool lot positioned in auction house london sale yeah and that is telling why isn't it in manchester or or, or one of the uh, local ones that's it's not that is simple it's because uh, if it's listed in a london auction house or a national auction house it will get it will be seen by local people 
right. but also will be exposed to people in London. So I think yeah. that for that reason, sometimes if something is listed in, in Manchester, none of us will see it. It, it won't make it into this show. But, but then, but <laughs> but then, if it's in London Oxford and somewhere else, it, it will, will be able to see it as well as local people will be able to see it. Because yeah, but that's my point, is to push up the price and probably attract someone who doesn't know the area that well and doesn't understand the supply-demand issues that um, Rod uh, yeah. alluded to. And the other thing that I think a lot of London investors don't realise is the, the planning premium, a premium for having planning permission is worth something in high-value areas because high-value areas, councils tend to be a pain in the ass. In low-value areas... And Blackpool is an area where the population is decreasing. The planners are all over you to what they want people to develop. So it's actually easier to get planning permission for things because they know that it's not often uneconomic to develop these things out. So there isn't really much premium attached, mm. in my view, for that planning permission in Blackpool, as opposed to someone in a high value area selling a site with planning permission for 13 flats. I, I think... I think this lot is going to go to one of the private uh, social housing companies who are for profit, for profit or for profit housing associations who already have access to these types of grants there and also for the long leases and income uh, security. And they will just get it because they know the end goal. It's a bit like uh, forward funding on, on a development and they already have that in place and they'll be able to utilise that. I think they're, they're going to be the best kind of buyers for this. For anyone else, it's going to be too too tricky to get you, well, possibly too tricky to get your ducks in a row beforehand and, and a risk that I'm not sure is worth taking. Um, but it's, yeah, interesting lot. So I thought uh, it's good to discuss some of those traps. Those kind of properties are very, very difficult to value, right? And in, in some situations, a difficult to value property is good for you. But in something like this, I think actually you finding it difficult to value is going to make it even harder for development finance and or exit finance to kind of value your end product as well, which makes, you know, it, it limits your opportunities. Um, Absolutely. And that's kind of why I mentioned finance being a trap there is yeah, if you're buying it in cash and you're concerned about income, then actually it's a much safer play because the income is high compared to the cash that's going into it. But when you then start looking at actually what the capital values are in the area and how it would be valued by a lender, everything changes. And, uh, yeah. and you might find actually you're having to put more money in where you thought you weren't. If you're getting – I mean, I'd be very concerned about getting development finance on something like this because you really could fall into a trap where you can't pay it back. I want to make sure I've got cash there ready to pay off any development finance if that's the route you want to choose. Or I'd be looking to buy in cash and then um, and then pay it off um, once I've refinanced because yeah. it is it, you are taking a bit of a gamble on that, like I said, unless you've got those uh, existing relationships and you understand how the funding will work for those special kind of um, leases. I yeah, that last option to, sounds most useful. Sorry. I think the only way to get this lot priced well is to offer it with a reserve of one pound and let people decide what it's worth. That's that's my view on this. Um, and Guerrilla marketing. Guerrilla marketing from Piotr's neck. I think it will go, though, because I think people like to do projects and especially people from out of that area like to do projects and may think, well, I, I can build cheap and 
and, and do those things. Um, and, yeah. and maybe they already have relationships with those local housing providers and they think if, if I build it, they will come. You know, yeah. some people do have that mentality. Let's move yeah. on to this uh, next lot is a uh, property that's not put forward as well. Uh, acute as auction. Rob, do you want to introduce it? Sure. So this is lot four of the Acutus auction. It is 51 Western Road and 25 Clarence Square in Brighton. Um, this is probably a bit of an opposite to the last one in that it's a pretty high value area. Um, so on the ground floor, it's on one side of the building, it's a high street. And on the other side of the building, um, it's uh, quite a Pretty uh, yeah. garden square, really nice residential road. So quite an interesting building there. Um, good, good looking building. It's rented out to Greg's PLC on the ground floor for I think thirty nine thousand. Um, it's up in twenty twenty six, I think. Um, so that's uh, a good one. And then on the first and second floor, it's got a two-bed maisonette rented for 15 grand on an AST. And on the second floor, it's also got a studio apartment rented for 9,300. Um, so total income is just under 64 grand. And the guide price, I think, is 975. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a really really interesting one because you've got a bit of a mixed income coming in. So Greg's PLC, obviously, although I know they're, they're shutting a few shops and uh, cutting some jobs like a lot of these retailers are at the moment, it's still in demand. Um, it's still a solid covenant. Um, it is let directly to the big company. So again, it's not one of these small subsidiaries. And then we've also got the income from the residential. Now, in this area, small residential flats, or studio flats, and uh, one or two beds are going for about 500 to 550 pounds per square foot. So immediately there, you know there's some decent value. There's also an opportunity to develop the building. It, the building is sandwiched uh, in between some much taller uh bigger buildings there at the back on the residential so there's certainly opportunity to increase the footprint of the residential on the uppers and when you uh, when they they have a capital value of sort of 500 pounds square meter and uh, the cost of converting that is certainly not going to be um sorry 500 pounds square foot the cost of converting that is not going to be probably even half of that so you are looking at some decent uplift there uh, not to mention the fact that this is uh, on guide price currently just under a 7% yield in a pretty high value area. So yeah. I, I like it. I, I think there's, um, like I said, it's it's yielding well as it is and it's got uh, opportunity for uplift, which seems a bit of a no-brainer, really. Um, yeah. My only concerns would be there was... Now, this is where kind of auctions slightly annoy me because... It, it talks about options determined not to exercise. Now, it doesn't say what that is, what they what, what was in the lease to exercise. Was it a break? Or was yeah, it it's a break clause. Yes, because that's quite different. Because if it's an option to break, then that's fantastic because it shows that they've had an opportunity during COVID to break the tenancy uh, when they are 
um, when they are cutting some of their business on various stores around the UK. So if it is a case that that's a break, then brilliant because it shows that they're keen to stay on longer. They've already been there for 15 years. If it, however, is uh, an option to increase by another 10 years or something like that, uh, then obviously that would be uh, less beneficial. So it would be key. I would just want to double check that. I assume it's going to be a break clause, not exercise, but I just want to double check that that is the case. Um, and the, yeah, the flats have separate entrances from the residential street behind, which is a really, really pretty kind of square. Um, so yeah, I like it. <clears throat> yeah, brilliant. And it definitely, this is uh, the nicest rear of the commercial property you could ever get. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of kind of <laughs> a, a Chelsea Square or something like that, doesn't it? Lovely buildings and nice green square, um, separate entrances. Yeah. It's, uh, Are those um, flats actually above the commercial? Is there a difference in height of the ground? I, I think, Ranjan, it's on a slight hill. Um, mm -hmm. I think the rear of the property is lower down. The ground floor is okay. lower down than, than the high street on the other side is what it looks like. But again, I think that's uh, you probably need to double check that. I mean, this is the best um, flats above commercial I've ever seen. I'm not <laughs> sure about the... Um, redevelopment or adding extra floors proposition because the Clarence Square side just looks as though it's got conservation area written all over it. I'm, um, sure, I'm sure it does, but I, I, that wouldn't put me off um, increasing the height on there, especially looking at the buildings either side. It's got, it's, it's, for those of you who can't see the pictures, it's three sort of terrace stucco buildings sandwiched in between either side much bigger ones although mm -hmm. the window levels are all at the same height which kind of get, would is what gives me a bit more confidence to to do that because you could quite easily extend that and keep it completely within um within the look and feel of and actually that two floors on that one yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, Brighton are notoriously hard to deal with, uh, sort of council on planning issues. But the, the, the thing you said about the, I mean, we've got some units let to Greg's and they normally have in their lease uh, an option to um, break in the first few years of it. But it's, there's a fixed time window for exercising that option. And once that time window expires, they're on for the remainder of the lease. So that option point that they've put in there is a good thing it's a plus point it means they're staying there for the, for the duration brilliant uh, i think uh th there was a lot in also commercial a, a couple of months ago as well that one of our auction buyers club members wanted to to purchase and it was a similar one with uh, a, a sort of a, a good covenant uh, that one was a costa and then there was uh, four or five flats there wasn't much potential to develop i think this provides much better potential to develop and also it's much more central because uh, you're very close to the sea and uh, that, that, is, that is going to be attractive, uh, especially right now. I think it's, it's just a, it's a pretty building, isn't it? With decent income and an opportunity for, to add value. Yeah. Yeah. So this one yeah, is solid. capital preservation and also capital enhancement as well. There's an opportunity there. You, know, I mean, I do, you do all the standard due diligence, you check if there's been um, planning applications before on it and, and those and those buildings just either side to see what, what's happened there, to see if anything's kind of not been allowed and why. 
um, because that you would want to kind of give yourself as much chance of getting that planning through to do that. Um, it's good that they're on ASTs as well. So I just, yeah, I, I like that. You've got you, you're a bit more secure with Greg's down below too. Looks good to me. And like we said, it's a, it's a beautiful looking building. My guess is 1 million 20,000. I think I think I think I'd I'd be expecting that to be going for about a five or six percent yield, probably probably closer to the five, um, five and a half. I think I think just under seven percent. It, it does seem cheap, and it seems like a, a good a good buy. I think the interesting thing about trying to estimate the value of this, because normally, when the the rule of thumb is, if you've got flats above commercial, they will go at a discount yeah. to what those similar flats would do go for on a standard residential street. But in my mind, the entrance to these flats is on a standard residential yep. street, and you don't even have to know that you're above a Greg's. I so is there a discount? Yeah, I, I, I don't think you would get a discount on that. I, don't, I, I, can't, I just don't see it. Ah. The same story with most of the properties on that same stretch of that Clarence Square. In other words, they're all all those flats are above shops yeah. to the front. You, you're looking at what's the existing income on this. You're looking at the capital values and they're strong in the area. It's, it's, it's the opposite of the last lot where capital value helps give you the buffer against any potential kind of development or value yeah. uplift in, in that term. So, yeah, I think... Okay, I'm, I'm reviewing my prediction upward. <laughs> <laughs> To one million and fifty-eight thousand thirty-three pounds. Um, that's six percent yet. I think six percent is fair. Okay, brilliant. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next one. So this is uh, lot number nineteen. The also commercial auction. Uh, it's a leasehold property, nine hundred ninety-nine years, two at two three six High Street, Bromley, Kent. Uh, it's a shop let on a lease to uh, solicitors, Mark Queen's solicitors LLP. And uh, they had a break option in 2021. They didn't exercise it. Their lease expires in 2026. And um, this is quite a popular high street with Domino's, Sainsbury's and uh, all sorts of good brands in there. The rent is 20,000 pounds and the guide price is 200,000 pounds plus. So gross yield of about ten percent. Um, is it freehold for? No. no. So this is actually a, a freeholder selling off the commercial property. Okay, right. They uh, that's creating a new lease for that commercial property and selling it off uh, with with that tenant on the ground and floor. Parking space at the back, isn't it? So there's not really any option to. Um, to do any development or uplift there, it's it's really an income play, isn't it, on this on this lease? Yeah, that, that was that was my question. Like, uh, let's say those solicitors, um, they they're paying the rent. They're one month in arrears, so they paid only two months, two thirds of the last quarter's rent. They've got a payment plan in place. Normally, I would uh, I, I wouldn't have issues with solicitors because they normally get paid most of the times because people always need solicitors. 
Uh, and this is a London's legal pro leading progressive firms, but that's their own words, basically, um, uh, taken from the website. So I'm just wondering, like, what would you guys think are the secondary options with a property like that? Not a huge. Well, it's 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 like the rest of the high street, isn't it? It's it's the thing with with stuff like this is you've got to look at what you're buying it for. Are you buying it for the income? And if so, how likely are you going to be to get that income? So you've already said they're in arrears. Why are they in arrears? Is 20 grand per annum the market rent in case they go and you've got to find someone else to go in it? Yeah. Uh, is um, what do McQueen Solicitors LLP look like in terms of their finance? That sort of stuff. I mean, it's, it's a strong, solid lit yield on the guys, or 10% is chunky for somewhere like Bromley. Um, so that's big. But I think that does represent kind of the risk on the high street at the moment where you've got no kind of options to do anything sexy with it or add value in any other way. It is really, if they leave, you've got to find someone to, to pull them back, to, to, to rent it off you. I mean, but that's reflected in the um, in the high yield. Yeah. I tend to find that properties like this, which are leasehold, they tend to go, the guide does seem to be for a higher yield and that reflects what you can do with the thing. I mean, I'd much prefer it the other way around where you're buying the freehold and the flats were sold off on long leases because at least, you know, after a time, the leaseholders want to extend their lease and pay some money and all this sort of stuff. But th there's just very limited amount you can do with just a leasehold. But, but again, Ranjan, I suppose this would, like the uh, first lot that we discussed today, where it's it's a security of income play on a 4% yield, this is, I suppose, the other end of maybe the risk premium where you, you might have this in your portfolio. It's not sexy, but it's, it's giving you good cash flow while it's going on. So the 10% yield, yeah, you've got, I don't know, how, how long is there left? Six years? You'd assume you'd hope they're still in business and we'll, um, and we'll continue to rent it after that time. And it's just a case of getting your money back from your income over time. So, yeah. It's, it's what I like about this one, one of the things that kind of uh, makes me excited is there's that five and a half years left on the, on the lease. And I think those solicitors, if they needed to go, they would have gone by now because they had an option to to, to break. Yeah. And um, they didn't exercise it. And it was just now, like literally in, in the last few months. So they will be there for another five years. In five years, the high streets are going to look different. And it's going to be a different economic climate as well. So I would say there will be an opportunity to let this property to a much better covenant uh, in uh, 2026, and that could potentially even double the value of that property. Okay. If let's say if we let it to Domino's Pizza at uh, 35,000 pounds per annum, it's not a huge rent for 110 square meters of a property. <clears throat> yes, this is the other thing that people need to be aware of with leaseholds is that, of course, um, we've had the new usage class E which allows you to make a news agent into a restaurant, an estate agent into whatever you like. You can repurpose these things. But that's from a planning point of view. You've also got to check whether the freeholder will allow it. And sometimes 
the thing to check is when the freeholder has created this long lease, whether the, the freeholder has restricted its usage within certain usage types. And that will trump any class E that the council may be giving you, if that makes sense. And sometimes if he's got a residential interest in the, in the flats above, if he's still maintaining those, then he may not want certain usage types on the ground floor and may have pro prohibited the usage uh, of certain types of uses like dominoes or whatever yeah. on the ground floor. Interesting. Well, let's see what this is going to go for. Any guesses? 240. It should, it should in that area settle at around 7%, 7.5 maybe would be, would be a good purchase price. Um, you'd expect. I'm with you on that, Jay. At the higher end, seven and a half, I think, because it's lethal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so two fifty is uh, your your guess, Jay. At the, at the at, yeah at the absolute yeah. maximum, yeah. Two sixty six is a uh, seven and a half percent yield. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, okay. Well, let's move on to the next lot, and the next lot is Ranjan's lot. Tell us all about it. Ah, yes, 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 yes. We're down to Windsor, um, to the Queen's favourite Indian uh, restaurant. I have, to, uh, I have to declare a small interest in this. I have eaten there. Um, biryani could have been better, but the lamb rogan josh was pretty mean with uh, some naan bread. But I digress slightly. It's a restaurant building. It's a detached building, which is one of the things that I sort of like. It means that you've got a lot of flexibility to... Um, uh, uh, build and extend, uh, you don't have party wall agreements or uh, any immediate adjoining neighbours and all those sort of issues. It's entirely let to a restaurant at the moment. Now, the thing when you're looking at properties let to restaurants, particularly if they are independent restaurants, they're not national chains, is how long have they been in situ? Now, normally for restaurants, the first couple of years are make or break. If they're going to go to the wall, they'll go to the wall within a couple of years. But this has been in situ um, for some time now, um, for a good six years chunk. Yes, we've had COVID and all of that, and they, they have taken a little bit of a, a rent reduction has been offered um, for them to cope with the uh, issues of shutdown. But the key issue for me is well, what was the health of that business pre-COVID? And pre-COVID, it seems to be a good business. With stuff like this, I would take a look at things like TripAdvisor and uh, look at the Saffron Restaurant. How many reviews is it getting? What sort of, what, what are things people saying about the service and the food and the like? Um, and it gives you an indication of once we're out of lockdown and all of that, um, how good a proposition this saffron place will be. It's rented out in its entirety to the restaurant tenant. Uh, it has an upper floor flat, which typically with these sort of restaurants, um, the owner will be using it to as accommodation for waiters and stuff like that. Um, but if you look at the picture, you can see that the um, upper flat has separate access from the side via a staircase. Um, so uh, that is nice. Um, and it looks, it's one of these things where it's a, it, it will go for a decent yield. Um, the restaurant, if you, just, if you just take the view that get over COVID, these people um, 
will be able to pay the rent because their business and their restaurant served okay food and it was fine before COVID. So it's likely to rebound back again. Where I'd have a problem is if a business was struggling pre-COVID, they're likely to sort of go to the wall straight after. And you've got that thing where you've got a tenant, which, which is good in the interim. You've got a long lease, but ultimately, if it all goes belly up, you've got fantastic redevelopment potential in this site. Uh, going up, adding another floor shouldn't be a problem uh, for this sort of building. Is it, and, it, and it was. It looks like it was two originally two units, wasn't it? That's yes. Big. Also, one of the less attractive build, buildings on that road, which uh, which would hopefully lend itself to being um, transformed in some way. Square feet of. Okay. Yes. So if you did another floor, you would be getting another unit on that. Yeah, easily. I, I think this is a this is an interesting one, and it's uh, great to have the insider knowledge about the Indian restaurant business in Windsor. Good uh, to know the Queen's favourite as well. Well, as yeah. a as a uh, my my knowledge is very much as an as a consumer as an, an eater of the, uh, of the, of the food. <laughs> Well, sometimes that's the best way to gauge uh, if you are looking at buying a restaurant or a pub or whatever. You go in there uh, at busy times, you check what the service is like, the, how many people are in and out, what the food is like, you know, because that's a big part of the survivability and the service, survivability of the business, but the serviceability of the rent, uh, which is an important kind of um, element Absolutely. to an investment like this. So. I mean, it's essential. It's It's basically 101 for dealing with any commercial property where the tenant is an independent operator. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think this looks good. I like this as, 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 a, as, a, as a building. I like the area. It's a good Capital Valley location. Um, the building is not the most attractive for the area, which represents a, a bit of an opportunity there in my mind. Yeah, um, close, to the, close to the centre. I think uh, it's decent. Um, and uh, I was told by someone who uh, is local to Windsor, this property has been on the market for, for a little while with a local agent and it hasn't been selling. So one of the best things I always uh, kind of recommend to people is to Google the address. Yes. That is magical. And there we go. Is the, the page uh, for this property. And what do we say? Guide price 600. So it used to be there at 600. Now it's in the auction with a guide price between 400 to 450. So much more attractive. Very good. Okay. Well, let's move to the final property. I believe it's the final property. Yes, it is. Jay, you ready? I am ready. This, this is this is like the most complex property we're gonna get on those things. It's ah. like it's it, it's got complexity on complexity, and once you solve that, there's another complexity coming out. It's, a, it's, a, it's it's the proverbial house of cards. So it's um, and it, it starts off ridiculous. So this is this is um, this is lot one three five in Allsop Residential. It's Owl Cottage and Pheasant Cottage in Itchnor Green. Uh, in Chichester, West Sussex, so PO20 postcode. It's a pair of freehold semi-detached cottages, which are currently arranged as house, uh, uh, holiday lets. Um, both have off-street parking and rear gardens, so from the off, sounds good. The guide price is 300000 which is 
criminally low considering like the, the neighboring uh, kind of property values are, are double that for one property in, 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 in certain circumstances. So I had a look at this one. I thought I, I looked at it originally because I, I, I don't have holiday lets. I've never looked at holiday lets. I, I don't do holiday lets. But I looked at this and I thought, I'm going to try and do some due diligence. And I was looking at it and I, I, I looked at booking.com and I looked at uh, Airbnb. I looked at all of those different types of things for similar kind of buildings in the area. You know, the, the, a building that looks very much like this is actually booked out till March. It's, very, Fully it's, booked, a, it's a very good looking building. It's, it's very good looking building. Booked out till March and they're charging £100 a night. And 300 grand for two, three bed houses. Not bad. 100 grand. So now we've talked about all the sparkly, shiny bits. Let's dig beneath the earth and have a look at some of the issues. So one of the first things that you will notice is that this is um, being um, sold by fixed charge receivers. Yeah. The other thing that highlights that is in the accommodation and tenancy schedule. It is saying that um, one unit is currently occupied by the borrower. And the second unit is subject to tenancy terms unknown, so occupied by an unknown tenancy. Um, the key features page, which you notice at the very, very top of every ALSOP um, entry, third point from the bottom is states that it's landlocked. So you've got two freehold properties which are, for all intents and purposes, yeah. landlocked. This is one other freehold title, basically, encompassing yeah. the whole uh, one, the, the freehold title, which has the two uh, different houses on it, uh, is surrounded by another freehold or other freehold titles, which means legally you can't get into the house unless you are trespassing on other land. Oh, and yeah, or, or, or unless you have um, equitable easements or built-in rights away. I mean, what I would imagine with something like this um, very much is that there is probably going to be some kind of right of way and, and communal share in, in the um, maintenance of, of that communal road. Now, when you look at the... Helipad. Oh, yeah, just flying. Nicely done. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the thing here is that they're actually, from the main road to get to those cottages, it looks like there are two separate freeholds. Mm -hmm. Actually, three from memory. Three separate freeholds. With, with access rights over that. So I imagine it, there's a little bit of a pickle um, to, deal, uh, to deal with um, the multiple freeholders and, and the access and the maintenance, etc. It does have some rights. Yeah, it will, it will certainly have some rights because the cottages aren't brand new yeah. um, and they've been used they are, as... And they had lending on, on them. Yeah. So they'll have to pass all their due diligence with that. Uh, yeah, with um, what do you call them? The, the the banks. And funny enough, the proprietor is a private individual, and his pension fund. Very interesting. Well, I guess that's why he was running them as um, holiday lets because they're, they're they're classified for for commercial use, aren't they? Very interesting. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm very I'm very new to. Well, he's been repossessed um and actually then if he's occupying one of the units whilst he's been repossessed what's, that's what's, adverse possession isn't it the one to really be concerned about is the secondary unit which is let on tenancy terms unknown what i what i'd want to know is well you're only going to be repossessed if you breached your terms of the mortgage so 
normally that is you haven't serviced the loan, but quite often it could be that you you've breached it by running it as a holiday let when the mortgage is something else. Now, normally that wouldn't you wouldn't end up getting to repossession case because you do something about it, you try and refinance or something like that. Yeah, you you do remedy. Yeah, which which leads me to believe that either they've run out of money and couldn't service it for, again, like you said, nearby ones are renting for £100 a night and rented out till March, so that doesn't seem right. Or they've tried to, um, they've said they've called in the loan and he hasn't been able to refinance because no one will lend on it because it's landlocked. Oh, I see. So uh, this seems like it's not a bank loan. It's a loan from a SIP, basically. So this is being owned by those people, Albert and Cheryl. And Albert and Cheryl borrowed money from Gerald Charles Lennonton, and he's basically pensioned the SIP SIP fund. Which would be in the bridging terms, wouldn't it? Yes. When we think about it. Yeah. So yeah. something has gone wrong between their relationship. So Gerald is now repossessing. Well, it would be interesting to know if um, if the occupiers are actually trustees of that pension as well. You'd want to know why yeah. what has been breached to uh, to get this process going, which I'm oh, guessing they did. It. Demands. I'm guessing the pension did it on a first charge with high rates. They went into penalty phases and they couldn't they couldn't cash flow. I, I, that's what I'd imagine it was because they couldn't put it on a term mortgage, maybe because of the land off. I'd, I'd, I'd have a guess that that might be the situation because what I'd want to be knowing is if I'm going to buy it, how am I going to finance it? And if these people have had trouble financing something like this, am I going to have the same trouble? And what can I do to do that if that's the case? Or um, why can't they get the cash flow in order to pay it? If it's a high interest bridging loan, then that answers that one. Or is it just not in demand like the other one that Jay found that's rented out till March? It doesn't seem likely, does it? But No, I mean, because I, mean, I had to look at three or four, some some which had like uh, hot tubs in the garden and things like that, you know, holiday let fancy schmancy stuff. And a lot of them are let, you know, through to through to February at least, some through to March. There's a couple of days here and there. Minimum three nights days is what they're asking for. That that seems to be the average. So I, I think your 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 idea as to what's going on is the one that rings most feasible in my mind. Um, I think what I would be more concerned about is probably not dealing with the issue that they face, because the chances are, if we were looking for it, we wouldn't be going down the same kind of blender. Um, What I would be looking at is, has anyone attempted to uncover any of the surrounding issues around the access and the term landlock? Because you'll be surprised how many of these fixed charge receivers and asset managers on behalf of banks and people like that who say these things because they don't know the full picture. They're not being given the full picture from the from the borrower. So they don't they don't actually know what the technical term is, if there's any arrangements for, for, for management and, and maintenance of that, that mutual road. There there may be easements in place that haven't been registered because easements can be in place for up to seven years without needing to becoming registered. So there, there are so many things that can be in play here. And again, this may be one of those situations where the having this sold at auction is probably not the best environment for it because of those questions 
that would need to be answered in order to try and unlock where the value would be. Because if you can support the fact that actually there are easements to access your land, and it isn't landlocked technically because you have those easements, then that's a separate matter. But when you say landlocked, you're talking about in order to access it, you have to be either trespassing or um, there has to be some kind of um, ransom in order for you to, to access property in, in general. And I think that doesn't think, look like that's the case. I think it's a storm in a glass of water, basically. And well, they just probably where I mean, it's clear that when people go bust, um, they're not often forthcoming with a lot of information. So, you know, it may or may not be a good thing. But this is one of these ones where detective work is required and you ain't going to get it all online. This is going to be one of those ones where you have to go down there and you have to talk to a lot of people and uh, uncover the story as to why it's in the sale. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of potential in that property. It's going to be interesting what it's going to go for. I think we might even, we might even try bidding on this, right, Jay? I, I'm 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 encouraged to yes I I think there are there are problems there that are, that are very very fixable if you know how I think even if even if the, even if it is landlocked there are ways to there are ways to play that to your 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 benefit whether that is building a helipad in the in one of the back gardens or whatever that may be you know there are there are ways to deal with that there, there's opportunity there I mean even if if you buy that anywhere within five or ten percent of that guide price if you were to solve that landlock issue which for me is probably where the majority of the value is tied up i think you're then looking at two cottages that if you were to put on open market could be easily double easy double yeah yeah I, I i've got a hunch this is only a hunch that solving that issue is is detective work and uncovering the status quo that's already in place. Because yeah. it looks as though there's a fairly established path of access because people have been accessing that cottage um, and that has been in place for some time. And as long as you can get uncover the proof of that to show it's been um, uh, used as that for, such, for that time and you can get affidavits and go through a process to get that regularized. Definitely. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a large part of the process to, to kind of get that resolved. And actually, you sometimes find these issues remain landlocked because of personality issues between the neighbouring freeholders and or the person owning that asset. So if you can go in as a fresh face and problem solve and, and try and try and approach it in a far more amicable way, you'll be surprised what you can unlock. As long as you turn up there and don't act like a complete arse, you've got a good chance. You probably don't go in a helicopter then, Ranja. Probably don't turn up in a helicopter is what we're saying, yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Well, I think that was a, a really good uh, a really good property to end up um, this uh, this review. And uh, we hope you enjoyed those two properties that uh, we discussed. If you enjoy the broadcast, please don't forget to give us an iTunes review. There's a link in the show notes to do that. It just helps other listeners find our podcast. And if you're interested in what any of our guests do, please look into the show notes for their details. Also, if you're interested in the property businesses that I'm involved in 
or in my consultancy services, please do contact me via the email. You guessed it, it's in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes as they come out. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.